You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show on 710-KURV. Here's Sergio. This is the Sergio Show on News Talk 710-KURV. Marv Esterly is the director of Valley International Airport. Marv, I appreciate you calling in to the program. So in McAllen, Automata, uh, they called it quits. Um, I uh, And I was commenting earlier, because I know things are done differently in, in Mexico City, obviously, when it comes to industry, especially under AMLO subsidizing things. Did Mexico not provide a subsidy for the airlines during COVID, all the major airlines, or did they only provide it to some? Do you know any of this? Because Anomad says that they it's COVID that killed them eventually. Yeah, it's uh, really hard, hard for me to comment on. I don't believe that there was, there, put it this way, there was definitely not the relief that was seen in the United States oh, for, for Mexican sure. carriers. That's for sure. The money, money wasn't there. Look, last year, I, I was saddened to hear that the... Uh, out of bus, out of bus connection that we had uh, to northern Mexico, that stopped summer last year. But man, I think the way things are growing in South Texas, the expanding economy with industry here in Matamoros, connections to Monterrey, I think there's enough demand for a direct connect to Mexico. Can we call these people back to come on back to VIA, the out of bus people? Uh, we continue our dialogue with uh, Viva Aerobus and, and other Mexican carriers. Um, the big problem right now, uh, Sergio, is uh, the fact that uh, the Mexican air, air, uh, airspace system has been downgraded by the FAA from a Category 1 to a Category 2. And what that does now is stop any new entrants. Uh, they cannot fly new routes into the United States. They got to keep the ones that they had uh, during this time period. But uh, once they go away, you cannot start a new route. Oh I mean, the Aerobus has been very, very interested in starting other routes into Valley International Airport, um, but they can't. Uh, they're blocked from doing so. Is that is, Did that hurt them then, as far as their business plan, the fact that they could not achieve a new route? Yes, actually, uh, they wanted to augment uh, the service from uh, Monterey uh, with other other destinations in uh, in Mexico, but uh, were unable to do that. Uh, so, you know, if they could uh, combine cities and uh, passengers flying to cities, and in you know, sort of like our carriers do in their hubs, you know, that would make uh, a lot of sense for them. Until that uh, category is lifted to a category one, uh, will any Mexican carrier be able to fly a new route into the Rio Grande Valley? Okay, well, that's you know that. I'm chomping at the bit on that question, why the downgrade, but i got to ask you first. Marv Esterly, Valley International Airport, since Autobus, uh, Viva Autobus left, do, do they still have a permit, though, to come back to VIA? We say, you know what, we changed our mind. We're, we're going to use the permit because it's, it's supposed to expire, I don't know, 2024, 2025. We'd like to go back, please. Can they still come back that way? Yeah, uh, again, uh, because of the the category, they're blocked from coming back. But yes, they could oh, come geez. back if that category was lifted. Okay, well, then why the downgrade? What happened? Well, uh, it's been almost two years now that uh, the FAA, and, and they go into countries throughout the world, and they, they evaluate, uh, you know, their, 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 their system, their aviation system. And uh, they had uh, some issues, uh, and I don't know exactly what those issues were, uh, that they needed to correct. Uh, and because of that, sort of like, um, you know, the rating agencies to, you know, uh, companies, they, they downgrade, you know, from, a, from a, you know, a plus to an A minus or something, but this is a category one uh, to a category two, and then there are certain provisions that are actually introduced, like the block of any additional routes into the United States, and that's where we are at this okay. point. 
Any hope that we can get that turned around? Is there anybody advocating for that up in D.C.? Well, there's no, there's no doubt uh, we continue to advocate uh, for the change. I think it, it, a lot of it is in the hands of the Mexican government uh, in order to get those things uh, taken care of. Uh, now, remember, um, Sergio, that uh, all domestic carriers don't have that issue. You know, as we have Sun Country here at Valley International Airport, that'll start in the end of May nonstop service to Cancun. So mm. we can still have international flights in the Rio Grande Valley. Uh, we can't, uh, we just can't have a Mexican carrier come in and do so. Wow. Okay. And as far as business or a reduction in business or boardings, uh, did that hurt you? The fact that, that Viva Autobus left last summer, did that play into the numbers at the airport? Well, uh, from a number standpoint, it was a very small percentage, yeah. uh, less than, you know, about 1%, uh, if that, uh, you know, even during the peak, uh, maybe up to 2%. Um, so, yeah, from a number standpoint, it didn't have a, a big effect uh, on our on, on, on the mountain passengers we had here at Valley International. But, uh, you know, um, it was our first international flight for since 1996, and, uh, you know, it meant a lot to us, and our partnership with Viva Aerobus uh, was very strong, and continues to be strong. Um, it, we, again, we're just all waiting for this mm-hmm. category uh, two to be lifted. I think that we'll have uh, be very robust back at Valley International. Any Airport rumors to when it might be lifted, Mark? You know, there has been a lot of speculation over the last two years, uh, and uh, it keeps on, you know, I can speculate and say by the end of the summer, um, but, I, uh, you know, at last year at this time, I would have been saying the same thing. All right, pal. Anything else you want to mention on this before I let you go? Well, I think you covered it all. Um, right. Just remember, if you're going to go to Cancun, though, yeah. internationally, you would need to book your tickets now. Yeah. Always connections to Houston and Dallas, and then Mexico City, and then Monterrey on a regular basis from the airports here in South Texas. No doubt. Yeah. Thank you, Mark. You. Be safe. You're welcome. Marv Esterly is the director of Valley International Airport, VIA. This is the Sergio Show. Head of the Brownsville, our family in Brownsville, at our Brownsville South Padre Island International Airport, Bryant Walker, Texas Ranger. Hey, man, congratulations on the new route, the new airline servicing the area. Uh, Avelo, right? Avelo, Avelo is the name of the airline. It's, right, right, right. It's Avelo. Avelo. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. And so direct connections to Southern California uh, near Mickey Mouse and uh, the other residents were Mickey Mouse in Orlando. So how many times are you guys going to be running to either Southern California, Burbank, or Orlando weekly? And, and when do you start? So we're going we're gonna to be starting on May 17th. We will have those direct flights twice a week on Wednesday and on Saturday, uh, going to both cities. So um, that's not seasonal or anything. That's, that should be a permanent route. Um, all we need is for people to go enjoy it, uh, you know, yeah. uh, take a vacation um, and uh, support the support the service. That's all we need. Tell me about this airline, man. It's the first time I hear this name. Is this a startup? Uh, um, what, what can you tell me about Avello? It, it is. It is. So the executives are all, you know, very seasoned airline executives from other airlines uh, that have either um, sort of changed their business models or, or something else. So um, they started this up about a year and a half ago a little over a year and a half ago and we've been in discussions with them since then several airlines came out of covid uh, of course you saw the merger uh, various mergers are happening all the time but um with the uh, the merger with um spirit and uh i believe it was JetBlue, 
um, that really consolidates the market and it and it opens the door for a new entrant at that low cost price point. So yeah. uh, these guys, uh, there were there's been several um, that have come out, like I said, of COVID, and these guys seem amazingly successful. Their business model is uh, unquestionable. Uh, they've they've opened up uh, numerous markets across the country. If you look at their route map, you'll see they're covering the entire eastern seaboard as well as the whole west coast. Uh, what they're missing is anything uh, really west of the Mississippi and and um, and east of Vegas. So we wind up being that connection in the middle of the country, nice. uh, connecting both both of the. Actually, they just announced yesterday. They also announced uh, Colorado Springs. Okay, so, uh, all right. There's that too. Uh, do they at some point do they connect with the major cities in the middle? You know, Dallas, Houston, San Antonio, Oklahoma City, uh, Denver, all those places like that. Well, they're. It's very interesting. Their business model. Uh, you know, it, it required them to start in the cities where they started there. They primarily, they don't really want to connect to big cities. Okay. What they're trying to do is connect to the smaller airports that are surrounding the bigger cities. Um, because those are the underserved markets. Okay. So as much as everybody loves to go jump on the skylink at DFW, um, some people, they, you know, prefer their, uh, their smaller hometown type airports Yeah. because they're not necessarily going to city center. And if you're going to visit friends and family and relatives, then uh, this airline is really catering to you to go to the smaller towns as opposed to the the big cities. Yeah, I, uh, but I, you know, don't 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 mis don't mistake that for being you know smaller service. They have full you know seven thirty seven uh, seven hundred and eight hundred aircraft. Uh, the series seven hundred and eight hundred of the seven thirty seven, uh, which is the the latest model of the aircraft of the seven thirty seven they have out there. So uh, these are new new equipment and um, and. I don't know. Great service that we've seen so far with the other airports. We had our uh, Brownsville City Manager head on to meet us. He talked to us about it early on on the morning show. Mm -hmm. Was she was telling us? Oh, by the way, my guest right now, Brent Walker, he's with the South Padre Island or Brownsville South Padre Island International Airport, and they had some big news uh, come out yesterday. Uh, Avello is the name of the airline. New, twice cool. a week, they will connect uh, Burbank, California, the LA area. And of course, Orlando twice a week, Wednesday, and you said Wednesday, Saturday, right? That's the connection. Wednesday, Saturday, those are the Correct. two days. Okay. Yes, sir. And that's will be starting May seventeenth. Helen was telling me they've got a, a special price point right now, special introductory, like sixty something, eighty something bucks one way, it's, which right, crazy. That's awesome. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, she nailed it. Uh, Sixty-nine dollars to Orlando, and I believe it's eighty-nine dollars going into uh, Burbank. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, those are very good fares um, compared to other fares for a limited uh, time. The, the I need to emphasize for a limited time, right, Brian? Well, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't run the airline, so I don't know. I don't know how how limited it would be, and I don't know um, what their other, you know, what what they might change the price to. Um, because they are, and their model is an ultra low cost carrier. So yeah. if they were to increase those fares very much, they pretty much couldn't call themselves ultra, ultra low cost. So um, in their current markets that they serve, fares range anywhere from you know fifty dollars up to the you know ninety bucks uh, one way uh, in numerous markets. So depending on again how how large the load factor is, what their yields are, uh, we we. It's possible. Don't hold me to it, but the the price could go either direction. Yeah, and we'll, it's a we'll bigger see, plane. We'll just see how successful. She said it's a bigger yes. plane that services the area as well. You want to tell me about that? Yes, sir. It's a, absolutely. So the seven thirty seven is um, 
I mean, that's your standard aircraft that, that other airlines use, uh, that is the mainstay of the, really the airline industry right now. And it, it, but for the Brownsville, South Padre Island International Airport, um, we, the, we were constrained by the terminal in the past. And it, the terminal actually only held 168 people by fire code in the gate area. So building the new terminal that we opened last year, I mean, two years ago, rather, um, that gives us the availability to serve the larger aircraft now. So that's that's pretty much how we attracted them. And this aircraft holds up to 186 people. So that, you know, we could never pursue that type of aircraft in the old terminal. So, but the 737, like I said, it's the mainstay of the industry. Um, and it's very dependable, uh, great proven track record, very roomy. So you're not going to be, you know, having to duck or, or hit your head like on some of the ERJs or CRJs that have traditionally served uh, the Brownsville South Padre International Airport. Um, you'll now be able to get on and stretch your legs and uh, and walk upright <laughs> all the way to yeah. uh, whatever row you you choose to sit at. Just there in are time. amenities that they offer as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just in time for s summer travel. May seventeenth is when they fire up Absolutely. service. Wednesdays and Saturdays from our Brownsville South Padre Island International Airport. Bryant Walker is with our airport at Brownsville. And just a sidebar mention, real quick, Brian. I, I know it's you know we we spoke with your buddy down the street. Um, Mar mm -hmm. uh, over at, at Harlingen. Sure. And uh, it seems that the international routes are real complicated to try to pin down. It. And with Mexico, the way it's classified. But I'm just curious, because uh, I, I, asked, I asked the same question of, uh, of Liz, uh, Elizabeth over here at McAllen at the sure. airport. Is there uh, a, a run to the finish line to maybe try to bring back a direct connection, Valley to Mexico with anyone? Because okay, that is available now. We, we lost... Uh, Viva Autobus, Harlingen, uh, Marv lost that. Esterly, well, they didn't. He didn't lose. It's just they they left, and and of course, right. uh, um, Aromar and McAllen quit. So no no direct connection. Valley to Mexico, Monterrey or Mexico City. You got to go to Matamoros or Reynosa for that. And a lot of people don't want to do that. So I I, th I think there might right. be a market in the RGV for that. So is there like a a dash to the finish line to see who can sop one up, pick one up, beg Washington to change its policies or FAA to change the classification of Mexico and see if they can open up another direct connect with somebody from the Valley. Are you looking right, at that? Right. Um, well, we absolutely are. I, I, you know, the whole time we've been looking for, uh, you know, for a Mexican carrier that, that could see the potential here in the Valley uh, on a permanent basis uh, and with less subsidies. You know, we want to make sure that we build the business case. And that's why we haven't just you know, dropped a bunch of airlines in that we pay incentives to just to watch them leave. What we want to do is build a business case. We show that okay. we can pull the data and we can show people buy tickets and they fly to Houston or Dallas and then go down to Mexico. Well, we're taking that data and that's what we're giving to the Mexican airlines. So yeah, we got to wait for the state department to change the category to allow those new routes into the U S. Um, and so we're currently uh, spending a lot of time just continuing to build okay. and reinforce our relationships with those carriers. So that as soon as that changes, then we'll we'll have you know uh, the business case to hand to them, and um, and hopefully we can we can realize that uh, international route as an international airport with a twenty four seven CBP service. Uh, it's a natural fit. Brian, congratulations, pal. Brian Walker with Brownsville South Padre International Airport again. Avello is the name of the airline. Direct connection to Burbank, California. Direct connection to Orlando, Florida. Go see Mickey Mouse and company. And they're going to start two-day, a week service, May 17th. We'll talk to you soon, Brian. You be safe. This is The Sergio Show.
you're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids. To running errands. Your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news. And to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show. Here's Sergio. A massive cybersecurity, catastrophic cybersecurity event likely to hit the planet and the first world sometime over the next two years. That'd be 24 months, people. Those were some of the comments from some people making predictions and analysis of economic trends, technology trends at the 2023 World Economic Forum. Let me bring in somebody who's an expert in cybersecurity. Leads TaylorMade Consulting, Jonathan Taylor. Appreciate your time, John. Okay, so what more do you know of, of this World Economic Forum and these dire catastrophic predictions of some massive cybersecurity event that hurts everyone? What, what do you make of that? What more can you tell us about what these people are talking about? Well, 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 as you already know, Sergio, uh, right now tensions between nations are at an all-time high. You got Israel and Iran, Ukraine, Russia, China, Taiwan, and America's right in the middle of this thing. And so it's not just nations and state actors, though. You know, it's terrorist organizations, it's criminal networks, and they are looking for ways to exploit vulnerabilities in our critical infrastructures, you know, our power grids, our water systems, our transportation networks. And so, you know, their goal is to disrupt uh, uh, our economy, to undermine our stability of our government, you know, things like that. And so, you know, we've got an election coming up soon. And so, you know, this is the time to kind of continue this conversation, and I'm glad you have me on, to kind of let people know, hey, this is what, what, what's coming up, and let's, let's prepare. Yeah, we can buy all the firewall softwares for our computers and de- devices, but if the local city government, county government, state, so on and so forth, industry folks who give us light and water and all that, if they're not doing anything to reinforce their systems, it's a moot point. Exactly, exactly. And so, you know, and and I'll add this, you know, it's not just the cybersecurity is on the IT experts. I think we all have a role in this in this thing, you know, from the manufacturers to the government, uh, down to the users. You know, uh, the manufacturers, I know California, they put in some, some laws uh, in 2018 that went into effect in 2020 that standardized, you know, security features. You know, from a government perspective, you know, you've seen uh, uh, they banning certain apps and things that, that may be vulnerable. And so but from, from our perspective, what can we do? You know, uh, uh, we, we need to make sure that our passwords are secure, especially on our Wi-Fi networks. And if we're using public Wi-Fi uh, without passwords, make sure that we're using a VPN to, to, to kind of mask who we are and where we're at. You know, uh, never click on unknown emails. You know, we hear that over and over again, you know. So check and make sure, you know, that that email is coming from that person or, you know, text them, call them if, if you need to double check. But we really got to start having this conversation about, about security and safety. 
Jonathan Taylor, my guest right now, for many years, he's provided some digital marketing and some technology solutions to businesses of all sizes. He's with TaylorMade Consulting, Cybersecurity Pro. Jonathan Taylor, we're talking about this ominous warning in conversations over 2023 World Economic Forum and on the technology side saying, yeah, look for the next you know, couple of years. Uh, somebody might come at us because we're vulnerable. In fact, there was a quote in a report, in a security outlook report from them. It said that 93% of cyber security leaders, 86% of cyber business leaders, they believe that the geopolitical instability that John was focusing on makes a catastrophic cyber event likely over the next couple of years. Now, you mentioned social media, John. Could apps, you know, the little funny video, entertain, entertaining little apps, could, could apps be used as a Trojan horse by a nefarious state? Like, for example, TikTok, Chinese owned. We've been saying for the longest time, lots of people have been warning, hey, don't surrender your personal data. Don't surrender your location data to the Chicoms with TikTok. And there's other apps out there that people are using to pay bills, and they're foreign-owned. Might they be used as a Trojan horse to take take down the Internet in this country? I, I, absolutely. You know, we, I, I just got a new phone, uh, and, and, and when it got it, to just to use the thing, I just hit agree, agree, agree. You know, we've got to be careful about that because, you know, to your point, we, we, we are giving them permissions to our microphone, our, our locations, all of our badge notifications, that's essentially every notification you get on your phone from every single app, every single thing you got on your phone. And so, you know, we got to be mindful about where we are when we have these devices, what information we're sharing on these devices. And, you know, it's a big time now. We're, we're working from home now. And so it's not just our information, it's our company's information. You know, it may not mean nothing to us, you know, but if we're working in these critical infrastructure areas, you know, hospitals, schools, uh, uh, water departments, things like that, we need to be mindful about how we're uh, using our devices because it's, it may not be what they want from our phone, but they can use our phone to get into everybody else's, that kind of thing. And so, uh, yes, you, you, you hit it on the nail. You know, it, it, it's getting big. Uh, it, you know, the article says mutating. You know, it, it, it is mutating. It's a virus, and it can hit you, and it can just spread. And, and so we need to be careful and mindful of it. Well, it makes for a good conversation to fill a radio show. What would you say, John, to individuals who are scoffing, laughing, snickering, right and saying, man, you guys are a bunch of fools. You're, not, you're just peddling fear porn. Yeah, so what that China makes our, our cell phones and flat screen televisions, all our electronics, our medical devices that we use at the hospitals, so what? that they make all the components, electronics for the vehicles, computer chips, appliances, or oh, maybe some of that stuff goes into military hardware as well. It's not like they have a kill switch to turn everything off in this country. It'd be stupid for China to kill us because, after all, we're customer number one. What would you say to people like that? You know, I, I, I would tell them, you know, you're, we're not trying to fear market. We're trying to educate. You know, we really need people to understand how to use the devices. You know, it, technology just moves so, so fast. You know, I remember when I was growing up, we had cell phones uh, in a big case, in a, in a beeper. You know what I mean? It was pay phones out there. You know, here 20, 30 years later, 
we we've got you know this stuff is moving fast. I'm changing my thermostat from the bed on a cold morning, you know. And so I would say, you know, we we really need to look at our critical skills gap. You know, we need to stop outsourcing a lot of our critical skills in technology. You know, with the artificial intelligence coming up, you know, we need to make sure that we are aware. And so I wouldn't call it fear mongering. I'd say, you know, look at it as education. It's okay. John, it's a pleasure. You be safe, brother. We'll call you again. All right. Thank you, Vic. Cybersecurity pro Jonathan Taylor, my guest. This is The Sergio Show. Start your day with news and interviews important to you with the Valley's morning news. Weekday morning starting at 6. Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan bring you the latest headlines and hourly discussions with AccuWeather to get you ready for your day. And special guest interviews on topics that affect you and your family. Good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Yeah, good morning, guys. Well, let's now enjoy the show. It's what you need to start your day. The Valley's morning news with Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan. Weekday morning starting at 6 on News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show. Here's Sergio. Dave Donaldson is with a group called City Serve International. And on this, the one-year mark of the start of the war in Ukraine. Compliments of Vladimir Putin sending all his troops in there to Ukraine. And, man, it's been a year now of all these headlines, all this news. seems like it's been... Dave, it seems like it's been longer than a year, doesn't it? It sure does. Right. Well, good morning, and thanks for having me on. Yeah, you bet. So I understand you've been there, Ukraine. You've been on the ground. Tell tell folks what City Serve International does, who you are, what you guys do, and tell me about your visit. Yeah, well, I've been there multiple times, including soon after the war broke out. Uh, literally thousands of Ukrainians trying to cross the border. It was a tsunami, and I gave one young young mom who was crying and trembling a fatherly hug, and she said to me, "Don't leave me." And oh I know, as you mentioned, this war has lingered on, uh, but we must do must fight off this compassion fatigue and not leave them. And that's been our battle cry. We're not leaving. We have provided transportation, evacuating women, children, the elderly. Uh, we are now providing 100,000-plus meals a day. We have uh, already distributed 2 million meals. Uh, package meals, and then another million is in the pipeline. Uh, we are setting up uh, these sea train homes, like in Bucha, you know, where you have the mass graves. And then I think one of the most uh, compelling things that we're doing is setting up generators and churches in some of the most dark, darkest areas uh, throughout the country. Yeah. City Serve International. Christian ministry, emergency response. Mostly, you guys have focused mostly on helping all the evacuees, right? All the refugees. Where have you set up shop? Poland, or where? Where do you have tents, satellite facilities near the area? Yeah, we have uh, that set up in Warsaw, Moldova, but also all through uh, Ukraine, and uh, we have warehouses, and as you mentioned a fleet of trucks and vans. And so that has really worked out well. Uh, we're able to evacuate, uh, but at the same time move uh, product, emergency supplies around. 
And so we have these warehouse hubs that we serve pods, and those are churches. We're working with 1,800 churches in Ukraine, wow. so we have uh, a lot of boots on the ground. It's quite a quite a large apparatus, sure. And uh, so a lot of people are being helped through City Serve and our network. Ten four, yeah. That's what I want to ask you about as well. It sounds to me with sounds to me that the needs of of the refugees are being met with you and other folks, colleagues, also in ministry. Who else is on the ground there? Let me reintroduce. Dave Donaldson is with a ministry called City Serve International. They are in Poland. They're on the ground. From the very beginning of the war, they've been on the front lines helping, as he said, the tsunami, the flood of folks evacuating Ukraine and running toward you know higher ground, safer ground, mostly there in Poland. But who else is on the ground they're helping you out? Are, are you part of the what, Samaritan's Purse Network, or are they helping you, uh, Red Cross, uh, Catholic Charities? Who else is on the ground helping all these people, all these human beings, running from war? Yeah, there's some great organizations serving there. Samaritan's Purse, uh, my former organization, Convoy of Hope, uh, Red Cross, uh, before we got all of our vans and trucks in place, we were using their vehicles. And so uh, this is a, it's a collaborative effort. And I'll tell you, you know, when you're there, uh, this is America at its best. Uh, when you see uh, these young women, uh, it's heartbreaking. Uh, young women that are now widows, children who are traumatized and hungry. You see the elderly shivering in the dark. Uh, but the good news is that this is a full-court press, and people are coming together uh, to provide, as I mentioned, the food, shelter, and also the heat through these generators. And these generators are critical. Uh, we spent time in Kherson, and I was just there a few weeks ago. Kherson was occupied by the Russians. Uh, they left, but they were only about 15 minutes away. And while I was speaking at this church that we had lit up with generators, you could hear the bombs everywhere. And these people, though, are so resilient, fearless, and they're there uh, worshiping God, calling out to God uh, for freedom and protection. Wow. Uh, but in the midst of all that Man. darkness in Kherson, you see this church, this literal lighthouse, lit up as a place of refuge. It's absolutely powerful. <laughs> kind of puts things into perspective, people. If today you're having a bad day at work and everything else seems to be falling on you like bombs. Now, these people are actually dodging bombs. My goodness. Uh, my guest is Dave Donaldson, City Serve International, one of many Christian ministries on the ground helping refugees. On uh, the European side, most of them in Poland right now. Dave, how many, how many millions are we talking about? Families, kids, women, fam people who ran from Ukraine. Ballpark figure, how many millions are we talking about? Uh, over 10 million you know, that have evacuated, but there are at least 6.97 million that are internally displaced. Yeah. And so uh, it, uh, this is, you know, this is evil you know, that has been inflicted upon these people at a grand scale. 
And, you know, many people, they want to talk about all the corruption. And I know that Ukraine, you know, was has been corrupt. And I know the State Department's working hard on that. USAID is addressing the corruption. But that has nothing to do with these young women, these children, and the elderly. They need our help. And as I mentioned, you know, we're a year into this. And if we're not careful, you know, this compassion fatigue, it's going to stop us yes, sir. from praying for them, from serving them, and from being generous. And I can tell you that even our donations and other great organizations, their uh, donations are beginning to dwindle yeah. uh, when these people need us most. Uh, Putin knows what he's doing. He, he is weaponizing winter by destroying their electrical grid, trying to disparate them. Uh, the other thing that we're doing, City Service doing, is we're addressing the trauma. We're going to host a trauma conference in Kiev in August. Uh, we are building, with the help of people like Willie Robertson, Duck Dynasty, a trauma center in Kiev. Uh, I, can you imagine what these young women uh, they're traumatized. And the military, uh, we met with military on the front lines. Many are dealing with PTSD. And so they, they need our help, and so we are responding uh, to their cries in a very tangible way. Seven million, almost seven million displaced inside Ukraine. And you, got, you have folks on the ground both outside and inside Ukraine, trying to help all these people. What do you need most right now? I know you say cash, but what do you need to take to them? Or what are you trying to get to them as quickly as possible? Let's compare folks outside Ukraine and inside Ukraine that you've reached. Well, we have we have the resources, the food. We have the vehicles. We have the generators. We just need the funds to continue to buy uh, the product and to move it from, you know, A to B, C to D, and to make sure it's getting to the people that need it most. And so, like a generator is only $5,000. Think about that. $5,000 can light up a church like there in Kherson, uh, which, as I mentioned, is a place of refuge and hope. And so uh, this is all doable. Uh, we were, as I mentioned, we have the third million meals uh, that is going in, but that's not cheap. You know, to to transport that, and so yeah, with prayer and resources, funding uh, to keep this going. Prayer and action, and the action part of it, if you really want to help, is by supporting folks like City Serve International. As Dave Donaldson is with City Serve International, look for them online. You know, folks at Samaritan's Purse always doing a good job. Red Red Cross is trying to help out. As well, so if you want to help and get that aid directly to folks who are suffering from the war, that's the way to go. Final thought, Dave. Uh, this is our moment uh, to not run uh, from this wicked ruler who's destroying and subjugating his neighbor, and he's counting on us, you know, to for this, you know, to be uh, as I mentioned, compassion fatigue. He's counting on it, and but uh, this is our moment. This is our moment to step up and show why America is the greatest and most compassionate country on the face of this planet. Thank you, and all your folks, Dave, for answering the call. Look for them online. 
provide some help. City Serve International. Thank you, Dave. This is the Sergio Show. So they say that you Recuro Health, the folks that you're with, you're it's like a one-stop shop for primary care, urgent care, pharmacy. So describe it for describe this concept for the audience here in South Texas. What are you guys doing at Recuro Health in, in North Texas? How does that work? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, everybody everybody I think agrees that health is complicated. It's a complex maze and all the information is spread out between a lot of different platforms and apps and doctors' offices and it's pretty hard to navigate. And at Recuro Health, we're really trying to centralize all the information to take some of that complexity out and really streamline the the experience that you're that you go through with your you know maintaining your own health and being preventive and um, and taking you know control over whether or not you're healthy. Is yours like a local network of primary and urgent and pharmacies and like subscription based? Is we- that what Recuro is? So we actually uh, we actually go through big self-insured employers and different uh, companies who are paying for healthcare. So big mm-hmm. plans and big sponsors for healthcare. All right, Gina, if you're ready, I called her to talk about long COVID, and let me look at some of the data. I know she was looking at as well, and I wanted to ask you as well about uh, another issue that's been in the news: Columbia University talking about how COVID affects the heart. But first, uh, some of the other data that we're looking at. So there's a new study on COVID and how long COVID affects some some of these patients. Do you happen to know, Gina, of the COVID population, like how the long COVID population, how big is that of the actual COVID-19 population? Was it like in single digits, like a very small number of people that continue to suffer some of these symptoms and respiratory and, and kidney and other internal organs? You know, I don't have those numbers in front of me, but... I think what we can all agree on is that COVID has affected a lot of different people a lot of different ways. And while the numbers are really high in some areas, people who got affected by COVID, people who are still experiencing symptoms, it's just different for everybody. Let me go back to the data that you and I were looking at. Again, my guest is Gina Fioretti from North Texas, part of the Recurio Health Group uh, up in, in North Texas. Heart, kidney, and circulatory system problems 34% of COVID patients say that they continue to see some type of heart, kidney, and circulatory problems. I'm sorry, of those who are affected by long COVID, the longer COVID, the symptoms that recur for you and stay with you, uh, of those folks who who suffer long COVID, 34% said said that um, it was kidney, heart, and circulatory problems. I'm guessing it's a blood clot. And... 33% 33% saying there were respiratory issues. They also suffered anxiety and had sleep problems as well. And curiously, two-thirds of long COVID patients are women. What do you make of that, Gina? Isn't that strange? Two-thirds yeah. of women. <laughs> yeah, it is. Wow. You know, it's, it's, uh, you know, being a woman and, you know, having these concerns, it, it's definitely something that I'm, I try to be aware of. But I think what I'm more focused on is the foundation of our health. That's something that we know that we can control because what we also know is that because COVID affects everybody very differently and the information has changed since three years ago when we first all heard of COVID, there's, there are a lot of inconsistencies. And I think it's really important to stay as healthy as we can on a daily basis because the future of our health depends on what we do every day. 
Thank God for tablets. Thank God for smartphones and computers. Man, you put CDC stuff in there real quick and it pops it up. One in five. <laughs> COVID patients, one in five. Still suffering some long COVID. Yeah. I, I wanted to mention something to you, uh, uh, Gina. It's Columbia University today is in the news saying that COVID-19 damages the heart. Now, they don't know if it's a long-term damage. And, look, I, I know heart cells they don't regenerate so how can this not be long-term damage but i don't know mm -hmm. if it's like destroying cells but it it messes they found at columbia university that COVID 19 messes with calcium and how, how heart cells regulate calcium doesn't damage the cell as far as this report but how the cells regulate calcium and of course calcium they say is, is necessary and how the heart pumps blood but they're still, still trying to figure out how this, um, if it's if it's temporary or, or if it's long-term. And I'm sure you've seen, Gina, online people complaining about the prick, about the shot, and, and some people trying to make a connection between that and young men having heart attacks or all sorts of people, athletes having heart attacks because of the, the follow-up shots that they get for COVID. I, I just think it's still way too early to give a pass to the COVID shot. And still make a declaration on anything COVID because we need more studies like Columbia University. We need other university studies. We need other health studies to determine once and for all COVID-19, how COVID-19 and not the shot itself hurts the heart. And it does hurt the heart because we have long COVID patients who are still suffering from, from circulatory, yeah. respiratory, and cardiac issues as well. So I think still way too early. We need a lot more data to parse this the shot versus the actual covid damage and we know pretty much yeah. covid has run rampant across the line I just want to get your thoughts real quick yeah no absolutely i think the science is still out i think that because we've seen the information continue to change and you know it's it's been across the board on how it affects people i think that we still are learning and we're going to continue to learn for many years to come yeah we can definitely say science is not settled on this it really it never is settled after all it is science it ebbs right? and yeah, flows. Yeah, it's ongoing. It ebb and flow. Thank you, Gina. Yeah. Best of luck to you, North Texas, with your Recurio uh, Health Program. That's Gina Fioretti joining us. This is the Sergio Show. News Talk 710 KURV. When news breaks, we break in. Break in. Breaking news. Stay alert and listen to the weather forecast. We need to be aware and alert to what's going on. Breaking news means it's happening now. And we mean now. Breaking news underway right now. Breaking news on News Talk 710 KURV means we're bringing you the news as it happens. We have an active shooter, multiple gunshots. In this particular instance, we are in receipt of information. When news breaks, we'll break in. Count on News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show. Here's Sergio. Something called Section 230 is what shields social media companies from most civil lawsuits linked to the stuff that's put on, you know, Facebook, Twitter. YouTube, Instagram, all those things. They post anything. Everything. They're shielded from lawsuits. Now, one argument is they shouldn't because, for example, drug dealers, they target American youth. 
and will dispense their crap to American youth by attracting them, luring them through social media. Let's analyze this real quick. Randy Sutton, 30-year expert in law enforcement, 30-year law enforcement veteran. He's a law enforcement expert, Randy Sutton, my guest. What do you make of the argument that the social media sites are encouraging or maybe even dealing, helping in, in dealing in, in illicit drugs for and poisoning our kids and thereby should not be protected by this Section 230? You know, when, when Section 230 was put into place, it was 1996. It was just at the, you know, the beginning of the Internet age. No one could forecast what the future would bring, and no one could foresee the, uh, the issues that we're facing today. And many of those issues are leading to um, children who are, who are being victimized in a number of different ways through social media. And one of those ways is that they are given basically unfettered access to make connections with people that can do harm to them, including um, selling drugs. Now, you know, when we think about about how these children can access literally poisonous substances with impunity, and then you understand that these these social media giants have the ability to put protections in place and don't, and also fail to cooperate with law enforcement when there is an investigation, then you have to really, really look at at the at Section 230 and say, you know, maybe it's outlived its usefulness and needs to be adjusted. And that's the argument that we're, that we're you know, really talking about today. How do these drug dealers, how these criminals, how do they target kids on social media? You know, these 14-year-olds, these 15-year-olds, they're very, very savvy when it comes down to social media, much more so than their parents. And so, you know, even parents that, that are involved, that want to be involved in, in trying to safeguard their children through, you know, uh, you know watching what they're doing and, and being involved, they, these kids can run, you know, circles around them when it comes down to social media. So um, they, can, they can access people. Uh, you know, there's, there's the underground, you know, Joe Blow, knows that that they can purchase dope and they tell their friends and and it it it, it circulates like uh you know like like boiling water going through the going through the pipes and so these kids can access um and purchase what they often what they think of as as something um you know a, a rather innocuous drug although that's a that's kind of a misnomer but mm-hmm. you see, let me give you an example uh i'm a 15 year old in las vegas and i get a connection for for percocet and i want to p- buy some percocet from from my connection in let's just say canada okay they can easily make that purchase happen make that sale go through and then um the the item that's delivered isn't really Percocet. It is fentanyl, and this is what we're seeing. This is why we. This is why we lost more than a hundred thousand people last year to drug deaths. And you know, we often think of the overdose, right? When we hear that word, you know, somebody overdosed. The overdoses that we're talking about now are not your traditional overdoses. They're poisonings. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the Chinese government in in the concert with the Mexican cartels are uh, putting uh, counterfeit uh, pills throughout the United States, and literally a kid will think you're taking a Percocet, it's fentanyl, it'll kill them. Yeah, hence creating the, the sense of urgency to do something, at the very least, and I'm guessing and, and looking at this would be to try to shut down the communication network through social media, try to shut that down. you got to do something because it doesn't take very much to kill a kid or kill someone with fentanyl. It's, it's so deadly. It's just, just a small piece of, of that stuff will kill someone. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there are protections that these companies could put into place. Um, there, there will be no panacea, but there are some protections. And the other part of this is they, these companies very often will not cooperate with law enforcement, even when there is an investigation. They hide behind their uh, uh, two thirty, and they'll hide behind, you know, where whereas they they could cooperate in a much more robust fashion. They drag their feet, or they, they yeah, fight subpoenas, or anything else to stop the process. Yeah, I can see where this two thirty will be coming to a close here very soon. That argument on the illicit drugs, the poisonings from fentanyl, that's a strong argument to try to remove those protections and enforce. On social media companies, all of them, try to do more to, to shut down not only this, but also human trafficking and sex trafficking, which is uh, another illicit trade. Thank you, Randy. We appreciate your insight. A 30 year law enforcement pro, Randy Sutton. This is the Sergio Show.